Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. Blueberry Cake Before I was old enough to have a job as a mother's helper or work with my father on Fisher's Island, my summers were spent at a combination of day camp, swimming lessons, and weeks on end at my grandparents' house on Beaver Lake. They had sold their house in Connecticut after Graypaw's second heart attack and purchased this red-trimmed shingled A-frame among the tall pines just south of the Quabbin Reservoir in Massachusetts. The man-made lake was small and shallow in places where it was covered in glossy water lilies. And the water was tea-colored from the tannins of all the trees around it and smelled like sulfur and wet leaves. In the winters, the lake froze over completely, and my mother and I would skate from one end to the other, while my grandfather and his buddies drank and ice-fished all day. My grandmother had been in the restaurant business, the first woman manager of a Howard Johnson's regional district. My grandfather had been an engineer for a large aircraft parts company until his heart began to fail him in his early 50s, and he was forced to retire. That last winter and spring of my father's drinking had been impossibly tense. And so as soon as school was over, my mother drove me the three hours north to Beaver Lake and dropped me off and headed back the same day. Kay, almost 18 by then, had a job as a chambermaid in the one hotel in town and would be starting her senior year at high school, and mom was not going to leave her alone for any time at all. I was to be at the lake for an unspecified amount of time, maybe a week, maybe all summer. My grandmother took me shopping for some clothes, a new pair of keds, a couple pairs of shorts, and a wholly unflattering bathing suit, not the cute skirted two-piece like Nell Roach or Aaron Stone that I had always been coveting, my bathing suits were always bought from the same place, Greenberg's uniforms and Old Saybrook, a one-color sleeveless leotard that my mother would sew or iron on a patch to jazz it up. One year it was Snoopy, another year a flower, one year Garfield, but it was never a cute skirted two-piece. Most days were spent on the dock, sitting with my grandparents, Brittany Spaniel, Scooter Charles, a dog with no manners, but a lot of love, Scooter ran off every chance he could, and part of every day was spent chasing him down around the lake. I also spent a lot of time reading comic books my grandfather brought me from town. Batman and Robin was on at 4 p.m. on Channel 56, and then it was dinner time. My grandfather went to town to get the morning papers, and then again to get the evening papers. He often invited me for the drive in the afternoon, mainly because if he didn't offer to take me along, my grandmother wouldn't let him go. I jumped at the chance to get out from underneath my grandmother's steely gaze. She watched everything we did. The trip to get the evening news entailed several stops. The first one was usually at the White Eagle Men's Club. Grandpa would give me $2 to go next door to the newsstand. I would pick up the Wear Evening News and a couple of Archie and Veronica comics and maybe a pack of bubblegum, all of which had to be chewed in private, as Grammy disapproved of gum since I often got it caught in my long hair.
and I headed back out to the car to wait for my grandfather. Less than a half an hour later, he would emerge, hiking his belted old man pants over his old man belly. Next stop was Jock's, and I was allowed to go there. My grandfather ordered me a Coke with cherries, and I played pinball, usually two full games, until he was ready to go. After that, it was the Little Red Inn, which just happened to be next to a stream where I could scope out some frogs or salamanders, and I played while he drank a quick shot and a beer. Time was running short, and we had to get back, but first we stopped at Dom's fruit and vegetable stand and picked up some cucumbers or corn. We stayed only a moment, then back in the car. Grandpa would straighten up there, run his fingers through his fine white hair, tuck his shirt in neatly, and check my face for traces of snacks. Then we would share a pack of peppermint certs or lifesavers. My grandmother would be waiting outside for us when we got home, her hands on her hips, taking a deep breath to start the tirade. I'd say to her that we had been picking the right corn at Dom's, and I would show her the perfect ears that Dom had quickly stuffed into a paper bag. She usually softened but would glare at Grandpa as he walked into the house with the newspaper tucked under his arm while I offered to shuff the corn for her. For the next couple days, he would stick close to the house, but I always was the buffer between them. We worked in the rocky garden, tending the five or six snake tomato plants and the many summer squash plants. That's all he grew, tomatoes and squash, and I ate them all summer. My grandmother complained I would only eat what Grandpa grew, but that wasn't true. I loved the green beans he brought back from Dom's and the sweet corn that my grandmother boiled in the big pot on the stove. It was the carrots and the cabbage and the peas and the creamed onions I could do without, but she took my refusal to eat those vegetables personally, but at least she didn't try to feed me fish. In July, after I had been at the lake for almost a month, with only one visit from my mother, my grandmother relaxed her rules and allowed me to accompany my grandfather more often. He took the responsibility seriously, and instead of drinking at three bars on the way home, he usually just stopped at the White Eagle Social Club. One morning, he put on one of his golf hats on my head, grabbed a couple of weeding buckets, and we drove to the Quabbin Reservoir, where thousands and thousands of blueberry bushes grew. All morning, we picked blueberries, one for the bucket, two for the mouth. Our hands and lips stained purple, our skin tight and dry from sunburn. It was a hot day, and my grandfather pointed out the different birds soaring overhead and the varieties of plants under our feet. We returned to the lake with our full buckets of fruit and sat down at the vinyl-clad table for sandwiches, peanut butter and fluff for me, ham and swift for Grandpa. My grandmother silently poured him a Genesee cream ale, as if it was a reward for staying sober for a couple of days and for getting me out of her hair for a couple of hours. Later, she made a blueberry cake, which was quite a treat, as my grandmother was not at all a baker. Even her toast came out burnt or only toasted on one side. She's quiet all afternoon, doing this and that in the kitchen, a little knitting, and then she took me for a swim in the early evening without complaining. I jumped in for a quick dip, not wanting to ruin her good mood, but she let me savor the warm afternoon lake water, and I floated, listening to the birds sing their early good nights. My grandfather had just cut into the cake after the successful dinner of summer squash and fried chicken cutlets when the phone rang. It was my mother, and I clamored around my grandmother wanting to talk to her. I had so much to tell her. The blueberry picking, the three eagles and the two hawks we had seen, that I had eaten in my entire dinner. That was big news. My grandmother was quiet. Her mouth 
hanging half open as she leaned against the stool under the wall phone. She pushed me away. Go upstairs for pajamas, she hissed at me. I went outside instead and got my grandfather, who was just walking up from a visit at Herb Eckhart's house. He slipped a mint into his mouth as he tripped through the front door. I trailed him into the house and waited behind him while he took the phone from my grandmother and learned that my sister had been in a terrible car accident. She had been drunk and high, stolen my mother's car, and had been running away. And now she was lying near death in the same hospital in New London where we had both been born, her skull in pieces being sewn back together, waking up only to speak in a cockney accent at the medical staff, an accent so convincing they thought she was British. None of this I heard, however. My grandmother handed the phone, and my mother said in a cheery voice that I'd only have to stay a couple more days, that Grimmy and Grandpa were going to drive me home the day after tomorrow, and that I shouldn't be alarmed about Kay, that she had just had a tumble and had a couple scrapes and bruises. I asked to speak to her, since she would be jealous of the fun time I was having, and Mom said she was resting, but I'd see her when I got home. I tried again to tell her about the blueberries and the cake and the eagles, but she asked to speak to Graham and I handed the phone over reluctantly. I sat at the table and picked at the cake with a fork until the piece on my plate resembled nothing of its original form, just a pile of blue and violet crumbs and the tears falling onto the plate and disappearing into the dry cake. Graham hung up the phone and disappeared into the bathroom, closing the door behind her and running the bathtub water, while Grandpa pulled out another ice cold one from the fridge and sat on the deck overlooking the lake. I threw out the blueberry crumbs into the trash and carefully wrapped the cake in plastic and took my seat on the couch in front of the turned off TV. Scooter jumped up next to me and fell asleep and I held his paw in mine. The sun had set and the fingernail moon had come up and none of us moved until the house was as dark inside as it was outside. Blueberry Cake, the Recipe. One small paint bucket, two pints of blueberries cleaned and drained. One stick of butter or shortening, which is a half cup. Three eggs, one cup of sugar, one half cup of sour cream or nonfat yogurt. Sometimes I use lemon yogurt or whole milk yogurt, which will make the cake richer and more moist. One and a half cups flour, a half teaspoon of vanilla, a quarter teaspoon of baking powder, and an eighth teaspoon of baking soda. Preheat oven to 325. Bring the butter, eggs, and sour cream to room temperature. Sift together all the dry ingredients except the sugar. Cream, butter, and sugar together. Add the eggs, beat until fluffy. Add vanilla, mix in the flour mixture, half a cup at a time. In between, adding sour cream. Scrape the bowl often, stir until mixed. Pour into a greased and floured loaf pan or a bundt cake pan. Bake for 60 to 7 minutes. Cake is done when a toothpick stuck in the middle comes out clean. Here's a note. If you toss the blueberries and flour first, they are less likely to fall to the bottom of the cake. Cool before serving. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com.